0: Thanks for being a role model for all aspiring scientists, and uh, we're so excited to have you
1: here today. <laughs> uh, thank you for the very kind introduction and this huge turnout. I was definitely not expecting anything like this. so. So if you go out you know, past the city lights you, uh, and look at the night sky, you'll see the Virgo constellation. And at the head of Virgo is this giant elliptical galaxy, M87, which is 55 million light years away. And this enormous um, jet shooting from the core of M87 has been shown to be incredibly dynamic. So its galactic scale arms just flail around on timescales of months. And at the base of this jet is believed to be the cause for this. is a supermassive black hole. So an object so dense that anything that ventures too close will um, be sucked up, even light. Welcome to Unraveling Pink. A
2: podcast tackling gender bias through conversation. I'm Annie Rogaski. In this spring season, I am focusing on the different ways the man box restricts men from speaking up or acting in the face of gender bias. My first episode this season, which is episode number 84, goes into a little bit of detail about what the man box is. So if you're new to the season, please check that out and maybe listen to the whole season in order. In this week's episode, I want to talk about female accomplishment and how the man box might interplay with female accomplishment. In the introductory audio, you heard the voice of Katie Bauman, who was part of a discovery of imaging a black hole. And it was really exciting to see the news around a scientific discovery generally. It's kind of fun to have something happen during your lifetime and not just read about it in a history book. But what struck me about the discussion around it was how refreshing it was to hear a different voice of science. And I don't just mean a different gendered voice, but the way this accomplishment was shared with the world reflected a millennial or even Gen Z perspective and the excitement was real and immediate and made you feel or made me feel a part of that discovery. So I was really excited to see that change in science and how we as a society interact with inventions and discoveries But a dark side of our social media society came out around this discovery as well. And I want to talk a little bit about that and how it played out and whether it was a gendered reaction or if it's just some bad actors reacting to something that should have been an exciting event. So I want to read a little bit from an article by... Jason Dwayne Hahn, entitled Male Scientist Claps Back at Trolls Who Tried to Discredit Female Colleagues' Role in Black Hole Photo. This is in People.com, and he writes, After scientists released the first-ever image of a black hole on Wednesday, Katie Bauman, a 29-year-old computer scientist, quickly became a social media darling for her part in the historic event. Bauman created the algorithm that made it possible to assemble the photo according to the Washington Post, and is a postdoctoral researcher at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. She had been working on the algorithm for almost six years, beginning when she was a graduate student at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Quote, "...watching in disbelief as the first image I ever made of a black hole was in the process of being reconstructed." Unquote. Bauman wrote on social media of the image, which shows a black hole outlined by emission from hot gas swirling near its event horizon. But as Bauman's role in the photograph became publicized, a group of internet trolls tried to discredit her by pushing the narrative that Andrew Chael, a male scientist on the team, had more to do with the project, CNN reported. Chael should instead be receiving the praise instead of her, they believed, According to the outlet, the trolls pushed social media posts that claimed Chael had solely written 850,000 of the 900,000 lines of code that helped to create the image. That's when Chael fought back. So the story goes on and talks a little bit about how Chael responded to this. And if if you've been on Twitter, you've probably seen some of the chatter around this. Basically, he wrote, so apparently some, I hope very few people online, are using the fact that I am the primary developer of the EHT imaging software library to launch awful and sexist attacks on my colleague and friend, Katie Bowman. Stop. So that's what Andrew Chale wrote. It was really nice to see a male colleague, a male ally step up and correct the record as well as support a uh, colleague, female or male. Just stepping up and supporting that other person is really important. But certainly for female scientists who do face a lot of discrimination and bias in their space, to have a male colleague support you without taking over the conversation was really nice to see. And he did it in, I thought, a pretty elegant way. Another article in Science by Cara Curtis wrote, We spoke with Dr. Jessica Wade, physicist and advocate for diversity in STEM, about the backlash Bauman is facing. And Dr. Jessica Wade said, The world's largest scientific breakthroughs, like taking the first direct image of a black hole, can only happen when large, international, diverse teams of scientists work together. For centuries, the people we have chosen to credit for those discoveries have been men. She continues, of course, Bauman will not have written all of the code, just like Englert and Higgs are not solely responsible for the discovery of the Higgs boson. Instead of discrediting the contributions of Bauman and the countless other women working on the event horizon telescope, we should take a step back and remember she did not ask for this recognition. People all over the world just got tired of men being the only ones who are praised. I think there's some truth to that. I think that as we look back in history, we don't get a lot of exposure to female scientists. I know when I talk with people, men or women, it's really hard for people to come up with names of uh, female scientists other than Madame Curie. And I think that's a a defect in our education and and who we choose to highlight in science and history. But it's also a defect of how our society has treated female scientists in the past because there are plenty who had amazing inventions and discoveries but didn't get the credit because it wasn't what women did or their husbands took control or took recognition or their scientific partners. There's a whole host of reasons why we don't know the names of women who have discovered amazing things that have impacted our lives. So I agree with Dr. Wade's comments about that, that we are sort of hungry for hearing the praise of people who are contributing to scientific inventions and and may not look like the scientists that we've seen for millennia. What's disconcerting about all of this, though, is that these attacks became so public and sort of took over the narrative of this discovery that Dr. Bauman even had to address them in her talk at Stanford. So I played a little bit of the intro part of her talk at the introductory audio for this episode. I want to share what she said also at the beginning of the talk specifically to address this. And as I play this, I'd I'd ask you to consider how many talks you've been to where you, you heard the presenter have to address something like this. Here it is.
1: So I'm really excited to be here at Stanford today to tell you all about this uh, recent discovery that we made, the recent picture of the black hole. Um, and before I started, though, I wanted to emphasize that this was really a huge team effort. I know that there's a lot out there in the media right now that's incorrectly saying that I single-handedly made this picture of a black hole. And that could be no, no farther from the truth. So this is, you know, uh, effort for many people over many years, many different backgrounds, and I just want to make sure that that is clear right off the bat.
2: These types of attacks on female STEM accomplishment are quite devastating and unfortunate. I think the silver lining is they don't seem to take over public awareness that often. We've certainly had things like Gamergate and the Google memo. But based on what I've read in my Twitter feed and just generally reading about women's experiences, attacks on women's credibility in the STEM world are quite pervasive, but they tend to be more subtle and insidious. And I think that's been my experience as well in the legal profession, the patent law profession. So I I looked back at some of the discussion going back to the Google memo, this time with my newly discovered Manbox lens, and started to see some threads connecting the views some men express about women in STEM with their own Manbox experiences. As a reminder, there was a memo circulated by a Google employee in 2017 that uh, raised some questions about women's ability in STEM subjects and I found this article in Recode back in 2017 by Rosalind Barnett and Carol Rivers and they wrote, we've studied gender and STEM for 25 years. The science doesn't support the Google memo. Damore, who was the author of the Google memo, argued that many men in the company agreed with his sentiments. That's not surprising, since the idea that women just can't hack it in math and science has been around for a very long time. It has been argued that women's lack of a math gene, their brain structures, and their inherent psychological traits put most of them out of the game. Reading that article kind of took me back to that time in 2017, which was a hmm, somewhat frustrating year for women. And I remember being really frustrated to hear that not only did this one person consider that to be his opinion, but that many men in the company agreed with his sentiments. I I shouldn't, I suspect, be surprised because I do think there are plenty of beliefs among men that women don't belong in tech or STEM fields. But I think what's surprising for me personally is there's been this change in my perspective because growing up, I had parents who supported my interest in science and math. And in my high school, it was the girls who did the best in science and math. My math teachers were all, all female. And so I didn't have, I think, the same experience that a lot of girls had growing up, that science and math were not for girls. In my high school, it very much appeared to be that it was the girls who were good at science and math. They were teaching it, they were learning it, they were doing the best at it. It wasn't until I got to college that I became the minority from a gender perspective in chemistry. And I think that makes memos like this and privately held opinions like this that women can't hack it in math and science so painful and surprising at the same time because the core of me says that's not correct and I don't really need science to tell me that because I experienced it. I lived it. I have been surrounded by women in in, science and math who who were much better at it than boys or men and so it's it strikes me that there's so much in this that's just perception or other motives that are at play that try to keep women down in the stem fields and I think it's reflected in the numbers of women who stay in it and the experiences that we read about over and over and over again. I don't think it's an isolated incident that women get treated poorly in STEM careers. I think it's more isolated when women have really positive experiences and are supported and elevated and paid fairly. So it it was disappointing to see the attack on Dr. Bauman and the efforts that people went to with fake social media accounts to try to discredit her. That level of vitriol is really sad to see and I think reflective of the fact that we still have a long way to go in the tech space. But the silver lining that I saw was the proactive allyship that Andrew Chael modeled and I'm hoping that we can move towards more of that and collectively as a society show the trolls that there's no place for working to discredit women in tech for no reason other than their gender. So I talked with Sam this week about this concept. Our conversation took a pretty wide-ranging <laughs> path as, as they are starting to we are getting into more and more topics that trigger other topics so um, here's my conversation with Sam. So this week there was a lot of excitement in the scientific world with the discovery of an imaging of the black hole.
0: Have you seen that image by the way? I have. Uh, it's not the greatest image. It was all all blurry. I was expecting to see, like, something.
2: It's a black hole. You shouldn't be able to see anything. I
0: could make that image in about 22 seconds in Photoshop. (laughs) Just blur it out. You know? Just take a picture outside and then blur it.
2: (laughs) It's been an interesting week because I've I've talked with a lot of people about this discovery. There's a lot of excitement around it. But then there's also been this discussion about The I'm just going to call them trolls. They don't deserve much more of a a name than that, who went after her, (laughs) went after Katie Bowman. And so she got attacked in social media by trolls who wanted to prove that she didn't contribute as much source code as other people did. And so there's this in-the-weeds attack on her contribution, which then inflamed a lot of discussion among women who have had this happen to them before. When I saw all this, I thought of the man box, of course, because that's the theme of, of the season. Mm-hmm. And so I have a theory on how this might connect to the man box, but I wanted to stop talking for a moment and get your reaction to all this.
0: <laughs> you want to hear my theory? Well, she posted it on social media... And when you do that, no matter what it is, whatever you're saying, you're going to get trolled. Do we know anything about these trolls? Are these like scientific trolls? Have you gone into their feeds?
2: The, the part that I saw, and I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it because part of me doesn't really want to give them more airtime than they deserve. It, it looked like they were engineers who were familiar enough with GitHub to look at who contributed to what lines of code.
0: So how does a man box contribute to this situation?
2: Is there a man box connection or is this just a one-off? Are these just people who are living sad lives and the only joy that they get is attacking other people?
0: Programmers, right? I mean, there are women, more women getting into computer programming and becoming developers, but traditionally these men have been in classes with just other men and um social groups with just other men. So I think it was a bit of a shock to hear that someone other than a man discovered something very significant. I think the knee jerk reaction would be like, oh no she didn't. We have to look into this.
2: Yeah, so this reminded me of some things you've said in the past on this podcast, which is like you have to fight for what's yours. And so if you see something and it it's if it's at all challenging your identity or view of who you are then you have to fight it and that made me think well is this is this a situation where like you had talked about boys being being made fun of for being like girls when when you grow up so if men are seeing women discover something does that mean that Something that maybe those guys would have liked to have discovered themselves, now has less value if it's associated with a woman, and they have to make that not true so they can still be interested in that space. Like, is there anything there? I think there's just this
0: male. Cog- am
2: I am i making all that no, up.
0: No, it it all makes sense. There, I I think there's a a, a male cognitive dissonance, like when 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 there's lots of news and discoveries and. The new world was discovered by men and um, just throughout history, just a lot of um, discoveries that women have been written out of history or just not even mentioned. Um, So when a woman discovers something, men are like, wait, that's not how it goes. Men do this to each other, if there's, um, if somebody does something or is successful in some area. Other men who feel that they are more superior or dominant or more male, Mm -hmm. they they feel that. They're like, well, how did he get that? Like, how did he succeed doing that? And um, I think every man has had to kind of endure that from other men, you know.
2: One of the things that encouraged me was that after all the troll nonsense happened, um, one of the people that they called out, as having a greater contribution than she had was one of her colleagues, Andrew Chale. And he actually uh, debunked what the trolls said about his contribution versus hers. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was a really nice male ally example where someone didn't just like lie back and not say anything but and partly he i think was brought into it because he was named but
0: so, so sorry the trolls claimed that this andrew guy had more to do with it and then andrew said no that's not the case right okay. so
2: he uh they basically pointed to the number of lines of code that were attributed to him
0: they 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 quantified yeah, it they quantified it, but they, quantified lines it of wrong. Code.
2: they quantified it wrong and he pointed out that they quantified it wrong And then he wrote, so apparently some, I hope very few, people online are using the fact that I am the primary developer of the EHT, Imaging Software Library, to launch awful and sexist attacks on my colleague and friend, Katie Bowman. Stop. So he wrote that, Mm -hmm. which I think is great. We've talked in the past about how do you speak up as a man if you see something happen that is sexist or biased towards a woman and i don't take his writing as um like being protective of her but being objective and saying hey people you're wrong clarify
0: the situation yeah
2: and stop doing it like it's not helpful and that coming from him i think has a very different feel than if she had written that
0: yeah And the last thing you want to do is feed trolls, but it had to be clarified.
2: How do we get more action like that? Like how do we encourage men and women, but it has a different impact landing on most men, I think, if it comes from a man. And women have been fighting this forever and women speak up all the time. We get hits for speaking up often. Um, And so certainly it should be both men and women speaking up. But how do we get more men speaking up?
0: I have no idea. No idea. Because that's a very personal decision, you know. I think every man will have a a moment here and there that, you know, the, the idea floats across their mind. Should I speak up? Should I say stay silent? And those are the decisions that I think, I hope more men will make moving forward. I hope we're trending in that direction, evolving in that direction. One
2: of the things that I have noticed in talking more about these issues with my male friends is that their window into the female experience is pretty limited. And for women, we live our experience every day and we see the things that happen to us we see the things that happen to our friends we talk about them amongst ourselves and I think for many years we have just felt like that's life and we just have to adjust to it Mm -hmm. and in the last couple years it feels more like we can talk about our experience which I think is good but one of the things that I want to encourage men to do is to learn more about the female experience because i think to your point if you don't if you don't know about something that's happening or you don't know the impact that it has on women like last week we were talking about things that trigger women
0: Mm
2: -hmm. um then you may not even know that it's a moment in which you could or should speak up and so um understanding what those experiences are, I think is really important. And I don't know how to tell, like, we can't just sit down and talk about our experience as women for 50 hours to try to unload it all on our male friends. I'm not quite sure what to suggest to people other than, like, go do some research. Like, if there's a topic you're interested in, you go to Google or someplace, and you do a search, and you read about it for an hour. You could read about female experiences. You could listen to Unraveling Pink because we talk about female experiences. We've talked about them for two years. There's almost a hundred episodes of female experiences. <laughs> um, that was a shameless plug. <laughs> That's
0: okay. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: um, I'm gonna put a bunch of uh resources in the closing of what people can do, like at a minimum, like just sign up for this email, and every week you'll you'll get these. Uh, emails that talk about the issues that are impacting women. But I think that's key, like just understanding the female experience more.
0: I think there's more out there in the media that is explaining the female experience, more movies and documentaries, and just female writers and directors that are are showing that side of it. So it's not female characters written by men, but... Mm -hmm female characters written by women and you can tell when you watch a movie and you're like, this has to be written by a woman, you know? Um, but having said that, I think there's a opposite competing force of, um, the media portraying women as objects and men being dominant and the action hero. Um, I feel like there's more of that than the former. Um, yeah, Definitely but I do think it it might be getting better, is that fair to say? Like there's more, I was gonna say there's more access for women, however limited that is in in um, Hollywood and just creating media in general, but I think it's, it's slowly changing.
2: Yeah, I think it is, I think it's getting better. We're seeing a lot more awareness uh, in Hollywood, which is important, I think, for diversity generally. It's a really interesting point. When you think about the female experience, we, for the most part, grew up with media that was telling the male experience. And so if you think about, and men may experience this when they watch a movie that is um, produced and written and directed by women. Like you mentioned it has a different feel. Well, for us, our whole lives, we have tried to make sense of media that was telling a narrative that wasn't ours as a generalization. But, um, and I find it really exciting when I watch something that was made by women because it does have a different feel. It's more authentic to my experience as a woman and I think that's really good for men to experience. What, what's frustrating sometimes is when you have like the, the remakes, the uh, Ghostbusters, the, I don't even know what the name of it, that was all women, and the Ocean's 8, and hearing talk about trolls.
0: <laughs> you ruined the franchise.
2: Yeah, I mean, before it even comes out, there's all yeah. the criticism of it. And then when people see it and they have all these comments it strikes me that there are comparisons against the male norm. The, the comparisons are against our traditional movies, which are traditionally put out there by men. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be different. But the perspective that tends to come out is that they're lesser than. They're they're not just different and and just as good. They're different and worse. I think because there's this association that if it's, the The female version is going to be not as good.
0: I was thinking about uh, Beyond Hollywood, and you talked about the Ghostbusters, the the male version and the female version, and uh, you know, trolls wanting the the old version, the all male version. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of feel like that's how the country is right now. Like a lot of people the want old, old the old version of what they perceive mm-hmm. the old old version to be, mm-hmm. and they're rejecting the new version. Pro, you know i was going to say progress but um how this country has evolved and what that all means they're rejecting it you know they want the old version yeah the one they grew up with
2: well the more i think about that not to just bring this back to our theme of the season but i do feel like it's it's man box is in play oh yeah that it,
0: it there's this um because the man, bro- man box is getting broken. Yeah. You know, there's there's cracks in the man box at every turn. And it's an identity. It's an identity that we have surrounded ourselves in, like a you know a cloak, and mm-hmm. um, it's not impenetrable anymore. Yeah.
2: One hard thing is is okay if if the man box is broken, and we've talked about this a little bit before. Then then what? Like what do we do? with that where do we go from here what is masculinity what is my identity as a as a man um
0: the trolls and the pushback and um how men are fighting back is just a direct result of the man box cracking Mm -hmm. right so um there'll be a lot more of that
2: so we should just take a sledgehammer to it. That is what you're saying.
0: Uh, sure, <laughs> but I think the new normal is going to be more of the pushback. You know, mm-hmm. men feeling threatened, and um, however that presents itself, um, it's it's not going to be pretty. But no battle ever is.
2: I worry that about that a little bit, and I know your your theory is we should we should battle it out. We should we should fight and see where we end up. I but I, I, I know I know that
0: men need to meet more in the middle. It can't just be you know a fight between men and women. You know like women yeah. have come forward to the middle and try try to assimilate within this male construct. Mm-hmm. Men need to come to the table too. Yeah, and that's what I've been hearing the last however many episodes we've done. You know I understand that, and I feel like in my own way by by doing this and 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 sharing the perspective on this podcast that's my that's my effort and mm-hmm. all of that you yeah. know,
2: and I think that would be great if more men were doing that and if more women were doing that, like uh, I
0: think um you know there's
2: there is a subset of the population um that is not gender specific that is coming together and trying to have constructive conversations about yeah. where we headed and what does it look like, but then there's also these. I would say more angry factions on both sides with women who are justifiably very angry for how they've been treated over the years and are done with it and ready to fight for what they think the world should look like. Mm -hmm. And there are the men who are reacting to that anger and that pushback and have this sense of my world is changing too, but while women's world might be changing in a positive way, my world is changing in a negative way. And I I can't let that happen. Yeah. And so I worry that instead of pushing more towards the center and having conversations about where do we go from here and how do we create a future that works for all of us, that we will end up with these two very diametrically opposed viewpoints that are loud and angry mm-hmm. and potentially violent that come Getting together.
0: And being fueled by the media.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I mean, it's... a. The same thing that we're seeing in the political spectrum in the United States as well. That, like, yeah, Can you have very similar. conversations anymore in the middle or are we just like we're fighting on two extremes and one extreme is going to win and that's going to define our future. And that's a very... That, that taps into really strong, visceral emotion.
0: Mm-hmm. Talking about this stuff is... Very, very hard and i I've known you for a long time, and I trust you and even talking to you about all this stuff is is very, very tough mm-hmm. that's why it's it's hard to think that more of these conversations are going to happen because yeah. I mean if it's tough in this context, I can't imagine you know a whole percent like a significant percentage of men are going to do it and where 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 would yeah. they do it?
2: yeah, right. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard for me, too. Like, I have conversations with women that are much more comfortable than these conversations. And this is about the most comfortable conversation I can have with with a male counterpart Mm -hmm. on gender issues. Mm -hmm. But it's different. There's more caution. And one of the things that I think is challenging about these conversations is they're incremental. Right. They're not sustained. Like I can't like I've been immersed in talking about this stuff for decades. Yeah. And and I think you're fairly new to the table of of having these kinds of conversations. And a lot of times you say something that I want to correct or say, Oh no, I, I have the data on that or I've looked at that before. But People aren't going to come to the table if every time they say something... It gets shut down. It gets shut down, right? Yeah. And so it's... When I talk about my conversations with women versus with you, with them, like, we have that, for the most part, we have that shared experience. We've we've all been steeped in these issues, and we talk about them so much more than than men talk about the issues that we, as women, have.
0: And how you're able to articulate that here in this podcast is, is um, I've admired... I, I'm new to the table and I haven't talked about this opposite a woman, um, a sustained conversation that we've had. Mm-hmm. And in listening back to this, to these podcasts, I'll, I'll go for a run or be doing something around the house and I'll have headphones in and I can just hear myself searching, like just pausing and just mm-hmm. the gears are turning and the words aren't coming out exactly as I want them to. And there's long pauses and it's tough. It's tough. I don't know if it will ever get easier. Yeah. yeah, it's just because uh, I'm unfamiliar mm-hmm. with all of this. Yeah. Men, men do not have a lot of experience with this. Right. And I think it's
2: hard for women to, w- women who are thinking about these issues or experiencing these issues a lot, to almost be patient or to take it one step at a time and appreciate that even though we may want men to have the same knowledge that we have, you don't. And how do we help you get there or push you to independently go figure it out um, so that we can have a deeper conversation about the issues? And it's tricky because I worry that the more we push, the more men go to that extreme of I'm being threatened, my identity's being threatened, I'm not going to engage in conversation anymore.
0: Men shut down, and men, yeah, they'll they'll pull out their sword and, you know, try to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. It's that fight-or-flight reaction that happens when, when you challenge a man. Yeah. Did you encounter that a lot, like, when you were an attorney?
2: It's, um... So th- it, there are subtle things. It's not a troll type situation in the legal profession as much. I mean, I was in court and people were trying to prove me wrong yeah. every time I was
0: in court. That's what you
2: have an opposing counsel
0: for. <laughs> but was there a trigger? Some somebody would ask you something or say something, and would you ask yourself, "Would you would you be saying that or asking that if I were a man?" Oh, that
2: all the time, all the time. Yeah. Okay, that's what time. I, that's yeah. what I was asking. It's and, and because this this particular situation is a very public, very situational attack. But in my experience, I had subtle attacks all the time. And it was things like a judge using my first name as opposed to my last name. And my opposing counsel, who virtually always was male, um, had the respect of of, uh, Mr. Whoever. There's a lot of paternalistic behavior in the legal profession from older men to younger women um, to uh, uh, really go to the, one of the highest levels. I had an appellate a argument in the Ninth Circuit and it was my very first appellate argument. Mm. And I was about, I don't know, early 30s maybe. I didn't have nearly as much gray hair as I have now, but I had some. And um, I was making an argument and you have a limited amount of time. Mm. And there were three judges. There was the Chief judge who was female, and there were two judges on the side. and one of them was like an I don't know 80 year old man. And I'm making my argument and the 80 year old judge said something to me and I didn't hear like you' you have this tunnel vision when you're arguing and you're hyper aware of the time
0: because you're giving a monologue.
2: You're giving them, I mean, you're trying to convince them, Uh, you're trying to respond to their questions, but you have a limited period of time and you already have in your head, these are the 20 points I need to make in that 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And so I was, I was really focused on, I need to make these points. So he said something to me and I tried to answer his question and I noticed as I was talking that the chief judge in the middle, she was leaning over and talking to this 80 year old man. And I was like, that's kind of weird that, you know, I'm trying to make a point and no one's listening And all to me. he's
0: hearing is walk, 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 Yeah.
2: Walk. Towards the end of my argument, the 80-year-old male judge apologized to me. But I was still so focused on, I only have one minute left and I really want to make my closing point that I didn't hear what came after the apology, like what he was apologizing for. And so the hearing was over and I went back and my my boss um she had watched my hearing. She had come to support me and to give me feedback. And afterwards she said, I was so impressed with how you handled it when he called you kid. And I was like, what are you talking about? When did he call me kid? I did not even hear it. And it would have knocked me off my game. But basically, when he had asked me a question, he had called me kid instead of Ms. Rogaski. (laughs) And the chief judge was... Lambasting him during my argument, she, she leaned over like, and she's like,
0: "Don't know, do that."
2: What did you? You cannot call her kid. And wow. then he apologized for calling me kid, which again I didn't hear.
0: And all of this flew over. Didn't yeah. even register yeah. with
2: me. And so my my boss was so impressed with how I maintained my calm through all of that. And I was like, I didn't hear any of it. I tell that story because that was just like one of many many instances where. He didn't treat me like a lawyer who deserved to be in his courtroom. Mm -hmm. He treated me like a kid who dressed up for an argument.
0: And that's not any courtroom. Right. That's a big one.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals.
0: Yeah.
2: Next up is the Supreme Court.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, that was just a blip. Like, there's so many things like that that happen to women every day, especially in patent litigation which is largely male but mm-hmm. yeah it's a daily thing and it's um, it's it can be subtle but those little hits I mean you've talked about micro cuts hip checks all that stuff it's it's pretty it was, my experience was it was pretty constant in the legal profession and part of that is built into an adversarial system
0: mm-hmm. but
2: a lot of it is extra Bonus
0: time. Yeah, I might have talked about this before, but I think my experience is a little different because my mom was a business owner and wasn't the traditional, like, bake you cookies, you know, be there when you get home from school. My sister, very, very well-read and bright and um, finished college in two and a half years and just gangbusters, you know. So the two women that were closest in my life were, like, very accomplished, you know,
2: did did they ever talk about their experiences as women? Like, did they ever feel like there was a bias that they encountered, or were they just
0: well the the and... thing that my mom gave me, among other things, um, but one thing was just uh, to fight. You know, like she she doesn't take she doesn't sit down and she doesn't back back down. Um, She would call herself a marching mother. If anything ever happened at school or in our (laughs) lives, she would march down to wherever it was, especially school, with a flamethrower, you know. That was my mom, too. Yeah. And to have um, uh, um, someone in your corner, like, specifically a a woman in your corner, like, my mom was a gladiator. Mm -hmm. And my sister, like, ten times that. But I know that's not the same experience that a lot of men have, you know.
2: Yeah. I would be curious about their experience. I mean, I talk a little bit with Chris, with my husband, about my experiences, you know, come home and vent about something that happened, but Mm -hmm. I don't get into a lot of detail and I don't share even 50% of what happens because there's so much of it. Like who wants to hear about that all the time?
0: Is that 50% what, like how you're, how you're dealing with it inside? Like you don't, you, do you talk about like the actual experience that upset you, but is the 50% you don't delve into the, the actual feeling that you're left with um, or how it ties, yeah, or how it ties back to like feelings, all the other really, experiences. Anger, but. Yeah. Do you feel, sorry, you said you only feel anger. Do you feel you're not entitled to feel sad after something like that? Those experiences? Um, like, is that part of, like, suck it up, Annie? Is that part of the man box? Maybe. Yeah.
2: yeah I love a little bit of the man box. Mm-hmm. I think the anger comes from if I give in to it as, like, you've hurt me, like a sadness type of reaction, then it will feel more like I'm defeated. Mm-hmm. And I think the anger and kind of how I've approached things in my life generally is pretty aggressively. Mm-hmm. Um And I think that's probably a coping mechanism to not get hurt. Like, if I just go on the attack, then no one's going to know if I'm upset or sad. Mm-hmm. And just being so frustrated and angry that things aren't changing. And for some reason, I've always felt like I need to go change things in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like to cry. That whole man box thing of not crying... That, for some reason, bled over to me.
0: I think in, in to women in general.
2: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think as a society, we don't really value emotion. Like, honest emotion.
0: That's interesting that women have been pulled into the man box in that regard.
2: hmm Yeah.
0: They're not allowed to feel their feelings, you know. And the result of that is anger. You know? I mean, what's left is anger and that's I mean men it's okay for men to be angry you know yeah man there's so much to this because when a, a woman's angry you know yeah, she's labeled something well. completely different you know right <sighs> oh I don't
2: know it's all interconnected it's interesting this conversation we've had has kind of wound all, all over the place Yeah. because it's all connected
0: Yeah, it's all connected
2: I do like that thought though that um, the man box is not just for men Well, I'm going to give a shout out to Erin. Erin, I'm not going to say her last name just in case you don't want to be fully shouted out. But she gave me the suggestion of men should go like spend an hour a week just reading about the female experience. And I think you and I have talked about the fact that just having these conversations, we both learn a lot from them. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: It's harder to do than to just go sit with
2: your computer and
0: Google. It'd be nice. If it's a sustained thing that men do an hour a week, mm-hmm. it would help change things, but it, it, it ain't ever going to happen.
2: But why, so how could we
0: incentivize men to do
2: that? Because women are naturally yes. incentivized because we're Can't. on the receiving end of a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so having lived it, like we see it everywhere and we read about it all the time.
0: Well, you, you made a crack about, it might have been last week, about when a man has a daughter and that kind of opened them up to it, you know, because mm-hmm. they don't want their daughter to be treated the way they treated women. It has to be personal to them. They To take ownership, men have to really, really feel it. They're so lost in the man box and who they are and what they can and cannot feel and be that I don't know if men can take on more than that at this stage really
2: i don't know
0: i just just on a very root level i think that's where a lot of the rejection comes from
2: they can't take it on not because they don't have the time and energy to go they research don't have, something, they don't have they the spend...
0: tools to even onboard it if you, that makes sense they can't let it in they 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 it just bounces off us a lot of times we either we're not aware of it how do we make men aware of something like that? And that's the question that you asked. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, well, I have three daughters and you know, like I want to protect them. That's when they take ownership of it. Like that's one case. But beyond that.
2: Well, so why wouldn't it be personal to men if like for those men who have girlfriends or wives, for example, and this comes up in the equal pay, uh, discussions like why wouldn't men want women to have equal pay? It would mean their wives or spouses or partners or girlfriends bring home more money, which should benefit them. So why why isn't that personal?
0: That is personal. That would that 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 constitutes uh, an example okay. a case where men would be like, "Why are you only getting paid, you know, 70% of what I know that other guys are getting paid?" Yeah.
2: Okay, well then how about um, I mean, this could get really personal if if we Please. encouraged women to um, come home every day and unload for an hour all the the things they experienced because of their agenda. Unload that on their male significant others, and then it becomes really personal. Then you would have to learn about it. Or wouldn't you be upset if you... Like the, the videos of... Um, Women walking down the street and their boyfriends seeing how they're treated. Like, yeah. Isn't that personal enough to want to go yeah. learn about it? Yeah. But then but then they don't. Like they just say, Oh wow, that's terrible. Like how do we get from know, oh that's enough, terrible I, to I want to learn more about this, I want to do something about it.
0: I think hearing about it, if if women came home and just said everything that their experience that day, what it's like being a woman in the workplace or wherever, um, and and sat down with their their boyfriend or husband and just I, I don't want to say it's unload, but just talk. I mean, what else mm-hmm. are you talking about? Yeah. You know, when you were kind of describing that, I was like, well, it sounds like a like a healthy marriage to me. You know, I don't know if a lot of men are gonna want to hear it at first, or mm-hmm. it'll be a bit unexpected. But men have to hear that stuff. With my wife, I could tell when something's wrong, and I I, I think there are times where she doesn't even know something's wrong, and I'll ask her, is anything anything wrong? Everything okay? She's like, oh yeah, everything's fine. And then then my follow-up question is, uh, if there was something wrong, (laughs) what what would it be? If you had to really (laughs) search for it, what would it be? And oftentimes there's something, you know, and that's when she can... Take a step back and think about well, okay, well, what is is there anything affecting me right now? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, there is something there. Let me talk about it. I I don't know if it's her just denying, the feeling like something's affecting me, but man, box, I mm-hmm. got to kind of shove it over here, you know?
2: Or is it just like the experience of it's just another thing? It's just like it doesn't
0: why bring rise it up to
2: the level of news because it doesn't it's it doesn't the break the threshold experience. of
0: yeah. yeah. Here's my challenge to you. We should lower that threshold, you know? Which threshold? Uh, maybe for of, a day. Like, daily? we would be be like National Tell Your Husband or Boyfriend Everything Day, you know? <laughs> just, like, a running record of, like, okay, this is, you know, as crazy uh, as it sounds, but, like... A day in the life. Or just a day in the life, Yeah. We only hear about it when it like explodes, yeah. and then it's emotional, and right. then we're like, "Why are you?" So, you know, like men can't deal with emotion, and so and they, it's the they, tip they of the push iceberg.
2: back. Yes, right. You you hear this one little thing, you're like, "Why is that such a big deal?" And yes. I mean, what you don't see is the mountain the, underneath.
0: Absolutely. That's why I think we're circling on the idea of just like mention the little things. You know, don't don't let it get to them. I mean, there will be the big things. You know, there will always be ups for for both sides. Mm-hmm. But it's those little things that I think men need to know more about.
2: So I hope you enjoyed that. We struggled a bit to come up with solutions other than learning more about the female experience. And part of what I'm trying to do this season is to help women understand more about the male experience, which I'm not an expert in, but I'm trying to learn at the same time. And I do think that it goes both ways. Both men and women have a responsibility to better understand the experiences of other genders. And uh, that takes effort. That takes time. So this podcast is hopefully one easy way for you to consume uh, the experience that for example, I present or Sam presents. We can only present the experiences that we know or that we read about. But um, I would challenge all of you to do a couple things. One is, if you do think that this, this these conversations are valuable, please share it with someone of a different gender than yours. I would like to expand the conversation hopefully these episodes are triggering conversations around the topics that we're raising the second thing i would challenge you to do is to spend just 30 minutes this week learning about the experience of someone of a different gender than you research a topic of interest or find women on twitter tweeting about their experiences a few resources i want to throw your way to check out if you have no better idea or no particular topic you want to research On Twitter, check out Erin Brook, E-R-Y-N-N, Brook, B-R-O-O-K. She is very open about her experiences, and her experiences are pretty wide-ranging. And she also has a pretty open uh, questions for feminist Twitter series that are a really good read. And I think whether you're male or female or somewhere in between, you'll learn something from her Twitter feed. Other resources, I've mentioned Better Allies quite a bit on this podcast. Check them out on Twitter. Also sign up for the Better Allies email. So every week, Better Allies sends out five things you can do, and they're usually quite easy. They give you context for why they're important. Um, I learn something every week, and I think you will too. There are also some news emails that you can sign up for to learn particularly about gender issues. There is a New York Times email called In Her Words, and there's a Fortune email called The Broadsheet." I'd encourage you to sign up for those. You get one email a week, so it's not a lot, but it will draw your attention to the experiences that women have and some of the challenges that came up that particular week. So it doesn't take 30 minutes to read all those things. It takes about five or 10. So that is a very easy way to start and learn more about the female experience. If you have resources that you think our listeners would benefit from, please email me or direct message me. You can email me at unravelingpink at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at unravelingpink. I would love to share more resources. I'd love to make it easy for people to learn more and expand their awareness of the experience of different genders. So thank you, as always, for listening. I will be back next week with another topic related to the man box.